So over the past few weeks, we've been um, in a sermon series called Apprentice, uh, and we've been looking at what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, to to spend time with Him, to to follow Him, to learn from Him, to be more like Him, to, uh, to do the things that He does. And over the past three weeks, we've been looking at this through the eyes of one of His very first apprentices, through the eyes of Mary. We've seen Mary learning, sitting there at the feet of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 10. We've seen Mary grieving, grieving at the, 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 the death of her, of her brother Lazarus. In uh, John 11, we've seen Mary uh, being anointed last week with uh, that, that oil of anointing uh, in Bethany. And this morning, we're going to look at the subject of Mary seeing, Mary seeing, Mary seeing the risen Lord Jesus. And as we read our Bible passage and as we simply walk through these verses of Scripture and think on this uh, encounter, our prayer is that we too will see, that we too will see that we, as we open the eyes of our hearts, as we respond to Him with our eyes of faith, that we too will see the risen Lord Jesus. See Him more clearly, follow Him more closely today and in the days ahead. Let's pray for a moment as we come to God's Word. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are, we thank You that You are with us right here, right now, with us by the power of Your Holy Spirit and Your living Word. So open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. We want to see You and help us to respond to You as You lead us. In Your precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So our Bible reading, we're turning to John chapter 20, and uh, if you'd like to open your, your um, however you're reading God's Word, reading the Bible, or uh, your, your uh, device, um, but if you're using a Bible, one of the, the church Bibles, it's on page 1089, 1089, and we're reading from John chapter 20. So it's after Jesus' crucifixion, it's after the Sabbath, early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary, she stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. 
At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Amen. Well, a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, uh, on the 6th of of June, uh, it was the 79th anniversary of the D-Day landings in Normandy. Uh, Europe had been engulfed by the terror and the tyranny of the, the Nazis, but on the 6th of June, as the Allied troops poured onto the beaches of Normandy, a battle was fought that marked the beginning, the turning point, the turning point of the war. On 6th of June, a battle was fought that began to mark the end of Nazi rule in Europe, that began to push back the terror and the tyranny of the Nazis and to usher in a time of peace and democracy and freedom. D-Day was a defining moment in the history of the world. This morning, we come to another defining moment, and it's the biggest of them all the greatest event in the history of the world, Easter. Easter. You see, 2,000 years ago, a battle was fought that affected earth and heaven forever. Something happened just outside the city walls of Jerusalem that determined the future of the whole world and of all mankind eternally. As we've just sung, a battle in the grave These are wonderful truths, wonderful words, aren't they? A battle in the grave, the war on death was waged, the power of hell forever broken. The ground began to shake, the stone was rolled away. His perfect love could not be overcome. Now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated. Forever he is glorified. Forever he is lifted high. Forever he is risen. He is alive. He is alive. You see, on that very first Easter Sunday morning, as Jesus rose from the dead, as he stepped out of that tomb, he started to push back the sin and death. The way of darkness was defeated, and the day of light and new life had dawned. Forgiveness and reconciliation to the Father who loves us. Life in all its fullness, life eternal, won for us by Jesus and offered to all who will believe. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is quite simply the greatest and most significant event in the history of the world. And from our Bible reading here this morning, we see that besides Jesus, the central figure on that very first Easter morning is Mary Magdalene. 
It's not the seemingly powerful men. It's not Caesar or Pilate or Caiaphas. It's not even the, 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 the apostles, Peter or John, although they are mentioned. But besides Jesus, the, the central figure on that first Easter Sunday morning is the woman, Mary Magdalene. And just in case we be in any doubt, this encounter between Jesus and Mary, it, it's, it's recorded for us in all four gospel accounts. Matthew 28, verse 1, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Mark 16, verse 9, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And Luke 24, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, went to the tomb, found it empty, and encountered the angels who declared to them that Christ is risen. This encounter between Jesus and Mary is recorded in all four Gospels, so God doesn't want us to miss this. And you know, it's important for us to understand, too, that Mary is not included in the story in order to convince the Jews of the day that Jesus is alive. No, you see, in, in those days, in that culture, a woman's testimony simply didn't count. In the ancient Middle East, it had to be the testimony of two men before it was valid. And yes, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, they are mentioned in the reading. And Peter and John are mentioned because their testimony would be believed by the society of the day. So Mary is not mentioned to give credibility to the message in the ears of the original hearers. She's mentioned in the story like this simply because this is the way it happened. This is the way it happened. In the early church, you see, if the early church had made up a, a, a story, fabricated a story that they wanted the people of the day to believe, they would have had Peter and John discovering the empty tomb. They would have had Peter and John being the first to meet the risen Christ. But the gospel writers, they had to record a woman being the first to meet with Jesus because that's what happened. They simply told the truth. And this truth has massive implications for us. You see, Mary was the first to see Jesus, the first to receive a commission from him, and the first to tell others. And as the theologian John Stott has said, as he said, if the definition of an, of an apostle is one who meets Christ, receives a commission, and tells others, then Mary is an apostle. In fact, as the one who told Peter and John, Mary can justifiably be called the apostle to the apostles. And this truth was completely countercultural in that day. But this truth proclaims that irrespective of the prevailing cultural values in any given time or place, that always and forever in the kingdom of God, men and women are valued equally. The testimony, the calling, the commissioning, the ministry, the leadership of both men and women are equally valued. Amongst lots of other things, that's what this story is telling us today. So we have Mary seeing the risen Lord Jesus. What can we learn this morning from how Mary sees him that might help us to more clearly see him? Mary goes to the tomb, verse 1, while it was still dark. 
Oh, yes, it was dark physically, but it was also dark spiritually, dark emotionally. The darkness here signifies the death and despair and doubt that Mary was experiencing at the start of that day. But within this account, Mary goes from weeping to rejoicing, from panic to peace, from confusion to recognition, from questions to answers, from crying to proclaiming, from death to life, from darkness to light. And there is this beautiful progressive revelation as the Lord gradually and increasingly reveals Himself to her. And I think that that's often the way it can be for us as well. We can perhaps start off in in the darkness of doubt or of despair. And the Lord, over a period of time, He progressively reveals Himself to us. We begin to see Him with our eyes of faith a little bit more and a little bit more until we too can say with Mary, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And so this morning, as we have asked him to open the eyes of our heart, he will reveal a little bit more or perhaps a lot more of himself to us. He will help us to encounter him, to see him more clearly. So let us be open. Let us be expectant. Let us be responsive. So let's just see how it happened to Mary. Well, I doubt that Mary would have slept very much the night before. She had obeyed the commandment and she had rested on the Sabbath, but it was probably the worst Sabbath that she had ever experienced. For just just prior to the Sabbath, which began on the previous Friday evening at sunset, Mary had watched. Mary had watched Jesus, her friend, her master, whom she loved dearly. She watched him being arrested, falsely accused, mocked, spat on, beaten, crucified, nailed to that cruel cross at Calvary. And then she had watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take him down from the cross and lay his dead body in that cold, dark tomb. And she had watched them roll that great big stone across the entrance. But Mary loved Jesus. Mary was devoted to Jesus. We've seen that in her her sister's home, in, in Martha's home. We've seen it in her anointing in Bethany. And now, She longs in one final act of devotion. She goes. She has prepared spices and she has brought them to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. And through the darkness, the first thing that Mary sees on her arrival is verse 1. She saw that the stone had been rolled away. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And you see, she initially assumed that Jesus' body had been stolen, and she immediately ran to tell Peter and John what had happened. And they too run to the tomb, and Peter just in his, his, you know, go-for-it style, he runs on in there. And what they see is convincing evidence that his body was not stolen. 
for the grave clothes were still on the ground. And remember, the Romans had posted a guard at the tomb, guards at the tomb, specifically to make sure this didn't happen, that Jesus' body wasn't stolen. The linen grave clothes were expensive. If someone had got past the guard, would they risk their lives, take the time, remove the expensive grave clothes from the body and leave them behind? No. As John Stott puts it, he says, the grave clothes were lying there, just like a, a chrysalis from which the butterfly had emerged. So Mary sees the stone rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. But at this stage, it is still a mystery because there is no body in the tomb. The second thing that Mary sees is this, verse 11 to 12a. Mary saw the two angels. Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over and saw there two angels in white. Two angels, two messengers of God. Now, messengers can be sent by God, can be either heavenly beings like those guys, or they can be human beings like us guys. The Bible tells us that God uses both. God often uses messengers to reveal Himself to us, to help us to encounter Him, to see Him more clearly. And God may send heavenly messengers to us, but you know, He's more likely to send earthly messengers to us. We are Christians. We are sent by God to show Him to one another. So are we open to what God wants to say to us? To seeing what God wants to show us through His messengers today? Through pastors and ministers, through evangelists and teachers, through home group leaders and prayer ministry, simply through other brothers and sisters in the Lord. God sent messengers to help Mary to see Jesus. So let us be open to him doing the same for us today. Thirdly, verse 12b, Mary saw where Jesus' body had been. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now I love this, this detail, this symbolism. You see, the place of Jesus' crucifixion had been between two criminals. But the place of Jesus' resurrection is between two angels. And this is a sign of what Jesus does for us by his resurrection. As we trust in him, so he raises us up from this criminal, sinful world and places us in the angelic, heavenly one. That's what he does. And yes, whether we like it or not, we too will one day physically die amongst this criminal, sinful world. But as his people, we are assured that we too, just as like Jesus, who is the first fruits of those who will rise from the dead, just like him, then we too will one day be reawakened, resurrected amongst the angels, amongst the angels. And then the angels ask Mary, why are you crying? 
And you see, from Mary's point of view, the tears are, of course, the obvious response to what she has seen and what she knows. But the angels, uh, they know something that Mary doesn't know. You see, the angels, they see things from a heavenly perspective. They see things from a heavenly perspective. And from what the angels know and from a heavenly perspective, there is no need for tears. There is no need for tears. For if there is one place where tears are unnecessary, it is at the tomb of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday morning. And perhaps just now, in the season of life that you're going through, perhaps there are tears. It may be like Mary because of a bereavement. It may be because of an illness, a relationship difficulty, or financial or employment difficulty. Whatever it is that has you, like Mary, weeping, God sees your tears, but He also sees the bigger picture. And He knows things that we don't. And this morning He comes to say, just like as He came to Mary at that tomb that day, He comes to say, my child, you don't see the big picture. But this thing, this thing, whatever it is that may have you weeping today, this thing does not have the last say. No, this is not the end of the story. No, just like with Mary on that Easter morning, so it is with God's people today. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And then through her tears, verses 14 and 15, Mary saw the gardener. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked, woman, what are you, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Mary thinks that this is the gardener. Who else would be there this early in the morning but the gardener? And you know, in a beautiful way, Mary is right. Mary is right, for this is the gardener. You remember the first gardener, Adam, in the Garden of Eden? He failed. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the second gardener. And where the first gardener failed, the second gardener, he does not fail. He does not fail. Adam, the first gardener, he gave in to temptation and sin and death, entered our world. But the second gardener, he's not rebellious like Adam. No, he is obedient, obedient to death on a cross. And by his death and resurrection, he begins to expel sin and death from our world. You see, Easter begins to restore Eden. And this is the very gardener who will do it. Where that gardener had failed, this gardener succeeds. 
He has succeeded and he has begun to push back the forces of darkness and death. And he has launched an invasion of life and light and love into our world. Perhaps, on the other hand, Mary's problem is that she does not have a big enough view of Jesus. For you see, Mary is looking for a dead body. Mary is looking for a dead body. She's not expecting an encounter with the living Jesus. And therefore, she struggles to recognize him. Perhaps, perhaps this morning, you're here but you've got a small view of Jesus. Perhaps you came to church this morning not expecting very much. Just like Mary, not expecting to meet with Jesus, the living Jesus. But he's here, and he's alive, and he wants to meet with you this morning. So let's be open. Let's be responsive. And then fifthly, verse 16, Mary saw Jesus. Jesus said, Mary. She turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus speaks to her, and there is this beautiful, defining moment of revelation and epiphany, of realization and connection, of intimacy and joy. She saw Jesus, and it was the hearing Jesus that helped her to see him. Look, he just said one word, but that one word made all the difference. Such is the power of the Word of God. One word changes her life and gives her life. And so whatever it is that you're going through, wherever, whatever it is that you're trying to work out, you know that Jesus is speaking his word to you this morning. And perhaps like Mary, in hearing his word, you, you're seeing him a little more clearly. And when we do by faith see him, we will want, like Mary, to share. To share the world-changing, life-transforming good news of the gospel that Jesus is alive. Forsickly, verse 18, just as I finish, finally for today, the sixth thing that Mary sees is this. She sees to it that the good news is shared. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. You see, when we encounter Jesus, when we see him with our eyes of faith, then just like Mary, we too will want to go with the good news, that wonderful good news that Jesus is alive. That one piece of eternal good news in a world that so longs for, so needs some good news. Jesus is alive. Mary went and told Peter and John, I have seen the Lord. She went and she shared her story with two people. And you know, there are 2.2 billion Christians in the world today. It started with this one woman. One woman telling two people who went on to tell more, to tell more and more, who told more. And the Holy Spirit was at work. The forces of darkness and death and doubt were pushed back. 
the, the church grew and God's kingdom comes. And then I thought, you know, if each one of us, like Mary, told just two people, if we told just two people over the next few days, and if that just kept happening and multiplying, well, soon the whole world would know about Jesus. So perhaps maybe we set ourselves the, the Mary challenge of simply telling, of sharing our story with two people over the days ahead and see how God will use that. Always keeping our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus, giving him all the glory, for it is him who is our resurrected king. It is he who we want everyone to see. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let's pray. Jesus is with us by his spirit and his word, the living, resurrected Christ is amongst us. He is revealing himself to us, speaking to us, wanting us to see him more clearly this morning. So let's just take a moment in the quietness with the eyes of our hearts open to him, listening to him, looking unto him, and responding to him in the silence of our own hearts. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. O oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Lord, as we leave this place and in the days ahead, let us keep our gaze fixed firmly on you, our crucified, risen, and returning Lord. For it is you we worship, it is you we serve, it is you to whom we give all the glory, both now and forever. And in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.